Chapter fifty three of On the Shores of the Great Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On the Shores of the Great Sea by M. B. Singe. Chapter fifty three The Empire of Rome. Comes the last age, of which the Sibyl sang. A new born cycle of the rolling years, justice returns to earth. Virgil. It was indeed a dangerous Rome, to which young Caesar now came to claim his birthright, but he soon showed his countrymen that he was a worthy successor of his great uncle. Stories were told of him as an infant that showed he was marked out for greatness, according to the early ideas of the Romans. When he was a small baby, he was laid in his cradle by his nurse. The next day he was missing and nowhere to be found. They sought for him long and found him on a high tower, commanding a view of the sea. Lying with his face to the rising sun. When he first began to speak, a story says that he commanded some troublesome croaking frogs to be silent, and the frogs have never croaked there since that day. It was not long before the Romans made Caesar's young heir consul, while Mark Antony, who had grasped at power, on the death of the man he had called his friend, was declared to be an enemy of the state. The murderers of Julius Caesar had, in their turn, been murdered, amongst them the aged Cicero. But Rome was still unsettled, Rome was still dangerous. At last, Mark Antony fled to raise an army against the young Caesar. He had schemes of conquering the East and making Alexandria the capital of the world, but instead of this, he became captivated by the beautiful Queen of Egypt, for whom Julius Caesar had fought before. He had met her in Rome, when she had stayed with Caesar. Now he met her again at Tarsus, and at once fell captive to her charms and her wit. Cleopatra sailed up the river in a gilded vessel, with purple sails and silver oars, to the music of flutes and reed pipes. She lay under an awning spangled with gold, surrounded by her beautiful slaves. Mark Antony soon loved her. He spent all his time with her, he laid aside his Roman dress and his Roman manners to adopt those of Egypt. Ugly rumors about him reached Rome, and Caesar determined to put an end to this growing power beyond the seas. He mustered a fleet and army and met the fleet of Antony and Cleopatra off the southern coast of Greece. For some days a rough sea prevented any battle, but when the battle began it was very unequal. The huge bulks of the eastern ships were ill adapted for advance or retreat. They were no match for the skillfully managed triremes of the Romans, and while they rolled heavily on the waters, up went the sail of Cleopatra's galley, and followed by sixty Egyptian ships and the despairing Antony, she fled across the sea to Alexandria. Thither Caesar followed, by way of Asia and Syria. All the princes of Asia bowed down to him, and Herod, king of Judea, made friends with the conqueror. He arrived at Alexandria to hear the news that Antony had killed himself, and that the queen, Cleopatra, had shut herself up in a strong tower. Once and only once Caesar saw her. She tried to excite his pity, but failed. She discovered that he intended to have her taken to Rome, to take part in his triumph. The humiliation was more than she could bear. The next day she was found, lying on her couch in her royal robes, dead. Her two maids were dying on either side. Is this well? asked the man who found her. It is well for the daughter of kings, answered the dying maid. And so Egypt became a Roman province. Caesar went back to Rome triumphant. The death of Antony put an end to the fierce struggles that had torn Rome for the ten years following the death of Julius Caesar. It seemed as if the great empire of Rome 
might have rest for a time now, under the man who had already done so much. He now occupied not only the highest place in the city and the highest place in the state, but he was chief of the army. The man who rules an empire and commands the army of that empire is called an emperor, so Caesar was now an emperor. He also took the name of Augustus, a word applied to things most noble, most dignified, most high. From this time, therefore, we must call him Caesar Augustus. Well and wisely did Augustus rule the Roman people. He lived simply amongst them, he dressed as a plain citizen, he joined in the life of the people. His house was unadorned, his meals were taken in haste and were not luxurious. To his court and to his person he drew the greatest poets and writers of his age. In his reign, Virgil, tall, dark, and shy, might have been seen walking about the streets of Rome, while Horace, who had fought for his country in days gone by, was poet laureate to the emperor. Lesser singers lived, too, in these days of prosperity, ever praising the man who had restored law and order to Rome, the man who had won peace for their great empire, even Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of the Roman Empire. End of section 53